Do you have it straight? I do have it straight. Okay. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Lunch Therapy. I'm your host, Adam Roberts. And with me, as always, is my husband, Craig Johnson. Hello. And Craig and I both have birthdays around now. Craig's birthday was two weeks ago on February 2nd, or a week ago. It, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. And my birthday is on Tuesday. Uh, so I thought it'd be fun for you guys to get to hear all our food-related birthday Antics. But before we get to that, I wanted to tell you that today's guest is a really cool guest. Her name is Jen Ag, and she is the author of the book, I Hear She's a Real Bitch, which is about her uh, being a restaurateur in Toronto, where she's got all these successful restaurants. She's kind of changed the face of Toronto dining with her restaurant, The Black Hoof. And she's a big presence on Twitter and Instagram. And she's just a really cool person. And it's a great conversation. And I'm excited for you to hear it. But first, Craig, do you remember what we did for your birthday this year, food-wise? Well, I got sick. I remember. Yeah. In fact, we're both, we've had a rough uh, winter. I know. Like, you our poor listeners have heard me blow my nose and cough and sneeze. Um, well, but not normally this sickly, but. but you got, so we were supposed to go, so on Friday night of your birthday weekend, you had a real birthday extravaganza. You had a lot of birthday celebrations. It ended up, it ended up being that way. Yeah. So, so uh, we, uh, one of the first nights we went to this restaurant, Auburn, which um, is a delicious Hollywood West is it in West Hollywood. It's in Hollywood. It's like on Highland and Melrose, right near Pizzeria Moza and Twamec and all yeah. those places. One just beautifully, you they they offer like about like twelve dishes, and it, it's it's kind of cool. You pick like six out of the twelve. Yeah. Um. So you can you know pick three desserts if you want. Um. Three desserts, or you can pick no desserts. The desserts are amazing. They have like mushroom caramel. But I made. I went for the cheese. You did go for the cheese. But I made a horrible mistake before we went to Auburn for Craig's birthday, which is that I've been taking fish oil pills. Oh boy. And I took these two gigantic fish oil pills. And I don't ever n- normally get like nauseous at dinners. It's like something that has rarely ever happened to me, except maybe once in Paris where I threw up afterwards, but that's another story. Um, and so we were eating this meal at Auburn and I ordered like sweetbreads as one of the courses. And I just felt disgustingly nauseated. I, I just not Auburn's fault. No, not at all. I was, but it was the fish pills, fish oil. Cause I Googled it and it turns out they can make you feel nauseous. So yeah. Kind of spoiled my dinner there, but I, f- I finished one of your dishes, if I remember. Oh, you did really good. the apple dessert. Yes, but yeah, we actually had a very funny psychological experience there. Do you we remember did. what it was? No. When we sat down, there was a rowdy table next to us. Oh, I'm less, I'm less um, bothered by rowdy tables. But don't you remember what happened with them? I thought it was so interesting. Oh, that happened. they noticed. Uh, well, so this table of people, it was like two very drunk women and two kind of sedate. Uh, men and the women were like yelling and just like slurring and then they um they were taking the bowls these beautiful ceramic bowls and like rolling them across the table and i and craig was getting annoyed at me because he could tell i was distracted because i was just like watching this happen as we were just sitting down but at a certain point they did something that got that you turned your head you actually turned your head and made i think one of the bowls fell and like made a a, you know loud noise so i looked over and then they they noticed us looking over and i thought they were gonna get like combative and be like what are you looking at but instead they were like oh my god you guys are so cute what did they say well that yeah i think that that they said that essentially but i think that they were embarrassed yeah i think they knew that they were 
They were drunk. They were drunk. And I think they knew they were behaving in a rowdy manner and that we had <laughs> clocked them. And they were trying to diffuse the situation by talking about, oh, my God, you guys are so cute. But it was funny because it, it was it was sort of this humane moment. I mean, look, it, it, it's all about context because if you were at – you know, at Sizzler or <laughs> if you're at just like a, like a fun, like Mexican restaurant or something, like having margaritas and stuff and somebody was acting rowdy, you wouldn't think twice. But, the, you know, we were at this like fancy restaurant. We, we'd saved up money to go to this meal. It's not like we go to a meal like that every week. And to, to sit down in this beautiful, tranquil space and have, you know, this beautiful like menu presented to you and then to have this table next to you be like going bonkers it just was sort of a contextual thing for me right out of context so then what else did we do for your birthday so th- then i i um was under the weather so we had to postpone all, all of our other uh plans until the next week um what did we do i'm trying to remember well then we- i made i made you a birthday dinner that's right our good friends mark and diana came over and you made Scallops with a citrus risotto, which, which you requested is, which for your I request, birthday. Which I think you'd made for me before. It was absolutely one of my favorites. I love risotto. I love scallops, um, and it was pitch perfect. It well, was so delicious. the recipe, I think the citrus risotto was inspired from a recipe in the Zuni Cafe cookbook, um, and it's basically you just make a basic risotto with onions and chicken stock and butter, but. You don't add a lot of other flavorings to it, like not garlic or anything, because you don't want that to clash with all the citrus that you add. But at the end, you segment a bunch of citrus. And I used cara cara oranges, Meyer lemons, um, pink grapefruit, uh, tangerines. And I just segmented them all and juiced a bunch of them. And you just stir that into the risotto. And I saved some of it. And I also added some herbs. I added parsley and chives. And then you like stir that all together and you put that in the bowl Then you sear a bunch of scallops, you put it on top and you put some more citrus on top and more uh, chives and parsley and it's all very pretty. Mm. Did we have a cheese plate before that Yeah, too? I got you cheese before that. And the week before when I was sick, do you remember Nicole Rucker came over and brought a pie? Oh yeah. A rhubarb and cherry pie. That was incredible. That was incredible. You had an amazing birthday and I made you Meyer lemon bars that night for oh your birthday. Oh my gosh. And yeah. then we went out to dinner the next then Friday we, with a bunch of friends to Blair's. Yes. And I feel like often this introduction is just a giant advertisement for Blair's, <laughs> our favorite restaurant. But I your absolute, favorite my favorite restaurant, I love Blair's. Everything about it. The food is reliable and delicious. It's not necessarily groundbreaking, but it is always so good. And and like that Caesar that we get, what is it? It's a, what's the Caesar? Arugula Caesar with pickled it's an, onions. Yeah, arugula Caesar. And se- breadcrumbs is a secret ingredient. Right, which is great. They have these little deviled egg appetizers. They have a, a, a like the like best kept secret burger, which is this kind of sloppy, gloppy, almost like a fancy In and Out burger that is to die for. I did not have the burger; I had the trout this time. But the atmosphere is great. Just great lighting. It is so it's casual but comfortable and kind of um, sh- chic feeling, even but not fancy and not pretentious, even a little bit. You always Ryan say the same O'Connell. About and, I know players. I say this. Well, I'm saying them again. So it, it, Ryan O'Connell and I were saying this back and forth when we were at Blair's, just like, this is sort of the perfect place to have dinner. And so we went there with like nine of 
uh, my friends. Well, Our now friends. we have a much more important thing coming up, which is my birthday right. on Tuesday. And I told Craig not to go crazy. You know, don't spend more than $10,000 on mm-hmm. my birthday. Just kidding. Uh, no, but I, every year on my birthday, like to go to the same restaurant, which is Key Spaka, which is the meat restaurant attached to uh, Pizzeria Moza and Osteria Moza. But I like Kispaka because it um, sort of feels like a wine cave. It is, actually is a wine cave. It's like you're in a room filled with wine bottles. And then there's like a little counter where you can watch them cook. And the food there is always extraordinary. I just think the food has always been amazing. Everything, they have this thing called uh, focaccia directo, which Nancy Silverton, who's one of my favorite oh, chefs. Man, that thing is good. And it's like, she went to Italy and she brought back these pans where like you make, she makes these like thin, it's almost like a cracker, like an oily, buttery cracker filled with gooey cheese. And it's so decadent and so delicious. But they have the Caesar salad that they pile up on this huge plate. And, and then you could just get, I mean, the prices are insane, but like a pork chop is like 40 or $50, but you share it with the other person. You don't get your own. And, um, Which, if you think about it, then the prices aren't as insane yeah. if you split a, a pork chop. Short ribs are amazing. I mean, there's certain things there. Giant, it's like giant. It's like Fred Flintstone. They have a meat pie that I've never had there before. I'd be curious to try. That's supposed to be kind of amazing. Um, and then I think uh, you like it for the atmosphere too. It's, yeah, it's sort of it's sort of cozy and romantic. And they always make you feel so welcome, and it's so yeah. The, the service is always great. Um, and so I'm looking forward to my birthday dinner, which I I just let you plan your yeah. own birthday dinners because Craig is too nervous to choose for me. Well, I've realized over the years that you're not a surprise guy. You'd yeah. rather pick what you want for yourself. And I'm happy to let that play out. Well, I appreciate you understanding my uh, birthday dinner psychology. Your birthday dinner needs. My birthday dinner needs. And I guess I understand your needs, which is you like to be feted and taken care of. Well, I like, yeah, I like the the cozy home-cooked meal, but I also like going out with a little group of friends. But but to a familiar place. I don't have to go out to the newest, trendiest place. I like yeah. going to a comfortable, familiar place. Well, um, totally. Well, um, anyway, this is the moment where we're about to transition to the podcast. And again, this is a great interview with Jen Ag. But before we get to it, I want to remind you, if you haven't already, you can subscribe to this podcast by loading up Lunch Therapy in Apple Podcasts and clicking subscribe. And while you're there, uh, give us a review. It's very easy. Just click five stars and you're done. It's, it's just a really fun thing to do. All right. Well, without further ado, here's my interview with Jen Ag. If I need it, I know it's there. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> hey, everyone. Well, I'm here with Jen. Is it Ag? That's right. Yes. Jen Ag, and uh, she was cold. So you're going to tell everyone how demanding I am? No, no, like, no, no. Right no, off no. the get. No, like, I'm not trying to that. shame you. I'm just, I think it's important that everyone can feel part of the, the energy that we're in right now. But now you're warm? Yeah. Okay. I'm warm. <laughs> well, Jen, it's really cool to have you here because, first of all, I'm a, I've been like following you on Twitter and I enjoy your stuff, but I just read your book. Oh, wow. Great. And I, and I really loved it. Oh, thank you. That's always nice to hear. And it's interesting because it's like this, the premise of this podcast is it's lunch therapy and right. I try to get people to open up. But what was so cool about your book is that you are an open are book. You? opened up yeah so i was gonna ask you like having so your book i should say is called i hear she's a real bitch and it's sort of about your entire life and career and being a restaurateur is that how you say that word it's restaurateur restaurateur always feels incredible it's like so such a snobby correction because it's so silly it's like i guess the french spelling became the sort of normalized english spelling right 
somebody fact check that. I don't know if it's true. <laughs> so it's spelled restaurateur, yes. which doesn't make any sense. Why can't it just be restaurateur? But, I learned all those lessons yeah. when I was a food blogger and I would like write <laughs> restaurateur and I get like 50 comments. Actually. Like, yeah, totally. <laughs> but I was going to say, I mean, um, when you wrote this book, you really just put it all out there. And so I have to ask, like, what, what was the result when the book got published and this was out there in the world, you know, was it something, was it liberating? Were there consequences? I thought you were going to ask, what was I thinking by doing that? <laughs> no. um, so that's the answer I was preparing. Yeah. I think, I mean, yeah, it's very liberating. I think, first of all, it's nice to kind of, it's, it's almost like a form of protection to, if you shoot yourself first, mm-hmm. What's, you know, what can anyone do to you? Like, I there's, love that. you know, if I've told you all of my secrets and mm-hmm. there's nothing to dig up on me, what are you going to say that I haven't already sort of tried to work through either privately or publicly? So I thought that that's probably part of why I did it, which, but also just because I think why write something like a memoir? And mine was sort of uh, autobiography in style, but why write something like that? If you're not going to tell the truth, like really, what's the point? That's really interesting. Yeah. Were there moments though when you were writing it where you... I didn't answer your question? Did I? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, well, but, but that, I mean, but there I... weren't. Con- I think there. Were, I think there are consequences that I don't know about. Sure. You know, I think like I don't think there's too many people that are in my orbit or my orbit, like I'm the sun, um, <laughs> but that are in my world that would come up to me and say, you know, this really offended me, or like if people don't tend to do that sort of thing. Um, well, the relationship that seemed most like the, felt the most fraught or the most like complex and interesting, and as somebody who goes to restaurants, was the one with the chef that right. you opened the restaurant with. Yeah, that, that, I mean, I don't know if I'd say interesting, but definitely <laughs> complex. Well, and I should say for people who haven't read the book yet, so you wanted to open a restaurant, and you opened this restaurant called the Black Hoof, which is, is I, did I pronounce that right? You did. I, I mean, was, a lot of people say hoof, and I'm just, I, no. I, ooh. <laughs> which became this iconic, huge restaurant in Toronto. But the chef that you opened with, start, it started okay, and then a big part of your book is how that relationship sort of devolved over time. Yeah, I mean, hopefully that's not too big a part of my book. I felt sort of obligated to include it because I think it would have been kind of crazy not to. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was so interesting. I mean, as somebody who fantasizes right. about opening a restaurant Don't someday. Yeah. I mean, it just kind of painted a very vivid picture. Yeah. I mean, that. I think that, you know, I've had better relationships with chefs since then, and I'm more careful in some ways. But yeah, I don't like I don't know if, what the consequences are for that. I think, you know, some people interpret it as score settling, which is, I think, not a very generous interpretation. Like I was there. I saw all these things happen. It was really a uh, difficult relationship and one that I was so happy to be out of. I, I think the way that I put it in the book, it was like unzipping a too tight dress mm-hmm. and finally I could breathe. Yeah. And especially for someone with my personality, who's not really going to kowtow to most people. I, I really did a lot of accommodating and it made me feel bad about myself. Well, that's actually such a great transition into this podcast because what I love so much about your book. It's and like what you've I, done this before. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, no, but I, what I love about having you on specifically is like so much of your book is about the psychological connection between being a person who provides food to people and then the, um, and also just like the, the mental work you have to do to like command a kitchen or to be in charge of people, to be in charge of customers, to just, there's so much psychology involved in what you do. And well, as so, a woman, I think and is and the as key a, part. Yeah, as a woman. I, mean, I think yeah. it's a lot more difficult for women to take to take on those roles um, and there's a lot more sort of mental acrobatics that we have to do sure. that we wouldn't have to do if we were men and that's a lot of what the book is about too 
Where do you think gay, gay men figure into that? Because like I'm a p- huge people pleaser, and right. some of the accommodations that you did in, in the book or that you talk about, I could totally see myself doing. But does that not count as much? Do you think? That's an interesting question. I mean, I'm I wouldn't <laughs> even call myself a people pleaser necessarily, even though I'm in the service industry. But um, I don't. I think it depends on the man. Like I don't want to in any right. way speak for gay men. Like I definitely yeah. don't feel comfortable doing that. I guess but. I related to your character in the book so much because I feel like I'm the same way. Whether, whether or not or not I represent all gay men or not, right. but you I, probably don't. <laughs> I'm you're, pretty sure I don't. You're white. If I took my shirt off, then I don't think I would represent a lot of gay men either. Or maybe I'd represent more gay men. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I one of the things that. Uh, but just even in the beginning of the book, the way you talk about like having to change your voice to speak to people who worked for you to get them to pay attention, you know, just the, these these moments of sort of having to be in control or to get your right. way with, but without changing the, the mood, like even being in front of customers. And oh, sure. The, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have experiences like that even still like this is. Um, maybe recency bias, but not too long ago, I opened a new restaurant called Bar Vendetta, mm-hmm. and it's sort of it replay. It was where the hoof used to be, so you know, no pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that we've achieved sort of creating something very, very different. Blah blah blah, all that stuff. But um, I always work in my restaurants for a good long time, like pretty much every night as a host or or just on the floor because I want to make sure that I tighten service in the way that I want it to be tight and. If I set the standard, then, you know, just I'm really particular about all those things. Um, and so I'm working in the restaurant, as I often do. And I think I, I ha- I've i been wearing, like, rock crop tops as my, like, work uniform just because it goes with the vibe. It kind of goes with – it's the way that the room is. It's sort of like a 70s cream brown orange, which sounds hideous but is quite wonderful, <laughs> with, like, a modern glass canopy anchoring it so that it's not just, like, a – throwback 70s room that you there's really this modern juxtaposition that makes it design it sounded like the Brady Bunch for a <laughs> it's second kind of, but it, it's not really it's not really and so but it's also like it's also channeling my kind of teen basement memories like a lot of the design elements come from things that I remember in my parents basement so that's like that's where the uniform that I wear to work which is not a uniform but it's just like you know high jeans and like a uh-huh. rock crop top which is like an indie rock crop top or whatever because I, I always like to kind of overdo it on like how these small connections work. So if no, no, you know, somebody might never notice that that's what I'm wearing, but mm. I understand that that's what I'm wearing. So I'm wearing a blondie crop top. And um, this guy, he was a wine guy. Uh, I can't remember if he was a winemaker or a wine seller. I think he's a winemaker. And he's, you know, at the bar having a nice time. And I guess drinks a lot, a little. And at one point says to me like, I don't want to do the accent. I think he was South African, but he says to me something like, do you even know who that band is? Mm. And like, I was just kind of shocked because I mean, just men doing that to women about music all the time. Yeah. First of all, like and being blondie, of obscure, <laughs> un- little known band <laughs> right. blondie, like first of all, second of all, um, I'm 44, sir, Like, <laughs> right. which shouldn't even be a thing. Like I could be 24 and it doesn't matter. You like what you like. I was so offended. And, and then he's like, well, like basically what's your favorite song? Like name a Blondie song. Uh, and I was just like, I wish what I wish I had said was my favorite song is heart of glass. Cause I just think it's really funny to pick the most obvious oh, song yeah. and like to be humiliated <laughs> right. that way. But I, I actually just sort of pushed back and I was like, I don't have to answer that. That's crazy. This is a crazy conversation. And I could, you know, I, 
I didn't accept what he was saying and take it in a service way, which is, of course, what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But I just didn't. I was like, I'm not. This is like, this is not why I own restaurants to take bullshit from dummies. That's so, amazing. I mean, yeah. I think that's the number one reason I don't think I could open a restaurant is dealing with just that. They kind have of to stuff. draw the first blood. Like I'm, you know, generally I'm going to be really hospitable and really, really nice to people, mm-hmm. and I definitely have to like. You know, always have that like pleasant expression on sure. my face when I'm working because if I'm just like this, like resting bitch face, people don't like that from women. It's so it's something I think about a lot. It's interesting meeting you because it's like reading your book and with the title, it's like I I found that book like charming. I feel like I got to know you, but it also was like, you know, but this title kind of has sort of this, like, it makes you think like, oh my God, what's this woman like in well, real the life? the point of the book is that I'm not a bitch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and you're not, a, you know, and, and yeah, and you and you you have a, like, almost delightful air about you. So um, for people- Almost who, delightful. <laughs> almost okay. delightful. Negging. Negging. <laughs> <laughs> I got to try a little harder uh, to delight you even yeah, more now. Yes. Um, okay, well, so this podcast, I don't I don't think I explained it at the beginning, right. but you listened to an episode already. I did, yeah. Okay. I but think the, I get it. The first 10 minutes, we just bantered. As we've been doing. It's been very good banter. Right. Good banter. Did I say almost delightful? I mean, I think you can play it back later, but I'm 100% sure. Oh, I mean, you are delightful. <laughs> I don't know if you'd be offended if I just uh, called you outwardly delightful. I'm pretty hard to offend. Oh, okay. Um, but now we get to the part where I'm going to ask you what you ate for lunch. Right. Now, I have a little heads up because we did message before this, and you said that you don't normally eat lunch until 4 o'clock. Well, yeah, like staff meal time. So that's how my day kind of... But Okay, but I don't want to spoil what you're yeah. going to say. So what did you eat today? Okay, so um, today I had yogurt with strawberries, blueberries, apples, and one other thing, something. What would it be? Strawberry? Oh, mandarin oranges. And um, a little bit of granola and a little bit of like almond milk. That was my my like first thing I had. Normally, I don't eat in the morning, uh-huh. but because um, time has no meaning here in LA, <laughs> yeah, like sure. my days are structured so differently than they would be at home, and so my days, my mornings kind of revolve around like going for a hike or going to Pilates, which wow. I would do at home, but it wouldn't be like a hike in Runyon Canyon. It would be like inclined walking at the like local community center which right. is wait i don't want anyone to know i go there and ruin it but, um, <laughs> oh, wow. yeah this has no listeners no, so you're I, fine <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah so i so my days my mornings are like very relaxed so um we're staying at a friend's place and we have an, a friend staying with us and i've been doing the yogurt morning ah. routine and then she said last night she was like i'll make the fruit and yogurt in the morning mm. like you're doing all this cooking all the time and i was like okay we'll see so you know we usually have it around 8 8 30 by like 9 10 I was like, I'm ready. I'm making texting. I'm like, I'm ready for my, no, I think I just quoted, I'll make the yogurt bowl. <laughs> she was like, all right, all right, I'm getting uh, That's up. hilarious. Yeah, and so she, and she was like, we were just sort of joking with each other because I think she thinks um, that I'm judging her like knife work or whatever. And I am. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> like from the other room with like knife sounds. I'm like, wow, I have to teach that person how to hold a knife. because You can like, tell from the sounds? Yeah, sure. Of course. Wow. And I'm not a chef. Like I'm, I'm making it sound like I am. I'm not, but I know how to hold a knife. So what do you hear? Just like clunk? Yeah. Just clunk. like a clunky, yeah, like yeah. this is not correct. Uh-huh. This is not I, a smooth I, I know job. what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so she makes it, it's perfect. It's delicious. And I was just teasing her and it was really actually so nice to have somebody do that stuff for me. Cause normally in a friend situation, like I'm the one doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. So that was lovely, Sarah. Thank you. Um, and then uh, I did not go for my hike today. I was going to go and I was ready to go and I just didn't because it got too late. 
And then we went to go get him Tiger on Hollywood. Okay. So I actually tweeted. Which is next to my therapist's office. No. Yeah, I always go there right before therapy. So this is what I tweeted this morning, because I think, like, it's kind of weird that, um, like, L.A. people, when when I'm talking about go get him Tiger, I really do like it there a lot. I think the coffee's really good. I love the service. And I really like the chill vibe of that patio. Mm -hmm. Um, And it seems like people here don't really have a morning routine. So I was like, his morning routine, sorry, I just burped. His morning routine, not really an LA thing. We go to go get him Tiger on Hollywood every day. And LA people are like, wow, you really love that coffee shop. (laughs) Well, yes, but I also love knowing where to park, a chill patio hang, and perfect soft scramble. And routine. And and then a couple of people replied like, no, we don't do that here. So it's like so strange to me because that's such a nice part of my morning. Because at home, I'm so busy during the day that my husband and I will like go for coffee and have that time to ourselves. So we've really been doing that here. And I have for breakfast at Go Get Him Tiger the protein brekkie. It's okay. called, but I can't say that because it sounds ridiculous. It so does. I just call yeah. it <laughs> the protein breakfast. Okay. And it's a perfect soft scramble. We've had it probably 17 times since we got to really? town. Really? Well, we've been here since early January. And um, I went home for a little while. So, like, yeah, every other day. So, we've had it. And, and it's been like perfect soft scramble every single time but one. And the one time it wasn't, it was just a little overcooked. Like, it's perfect. So it's a soft scramble with what else? Um, bacon, like really good quality bacon uh-huh. and not too crispy, just like perfectly cooked. Avocado, we get double avocado. So Ooh. we get this like super annoying. I hate like, the modifications. I was so embarrassed the first time I did it. And the the server barista was just like, what? No, it's like, that's nothing. It's LA. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Like double avocado, hot sauce and salt on the side. Because sometimes they put like they're a little bit too generous with the Malden. Okay. Which is like nice, but just too a little too far. Too heavy. Yeah. Um. But it's really, really good. So you so, had that today, too? Had that today, too. Okay. And I took a picture of it two-thirds of the way through. Oh, okay. I forgot. But I took a really nice fruit bowl. Great. <laughs> Wait, so now would you consider this protein brekkie Mm-mm-mm. your lunch? Breakfast. Breakfast. Yeah, I mean, I would consider my breakfast, like, and then I would maybe have a small lunch around 4, 4.30, and then dinner, like, a little bit later. Because I can't, first of all, you cannot have a 7.30 dinner in this town. Because how the fuck are you going to get there? Well, it takes an hour and a half to get anywhere oh. to, in rush hour traffic. So, like, I just refuse. Now I'm just like 8.30 resos only. Oh, okay. But people yeah. go, to, go to restaurants early in LA, I feel, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, restaurants close at 9.30. I, I was know. Trying, it's so awful. I was it trying awful. to, like, get something to eat. We were at um, In Sheep's Clothing, which is this, like, Japanese listening bar that could Oh, you be went re- there. I've I never, love it. It yeah. could be really pretentious. But they have these little cards on the tables. I'm so, I feel so free to, like offer my total opinion about everything because I don't actually live here and operate a restaurant here. <laughs> yeah. They have these little cards on every table that are like, you know, reminding you to shush basically and like talk uh-huh. lower than the music. And nobody's really doing that, but it's still like a little quieter. And it's like, that's not why people go to bars. I love, but it's also this beautiful, warm, high fidelity system. Like, I really want to go there. I hear it's gorgeous. Cool. Yeah. And it's beautifully designed and they have a really nice socket menu, which I like. And they have like a nice rum selection with which my husband likes. So yeah, we like it there a lot. But we went and we're really hungry after. And it was like maybe quarter to 10. And I was like, everything will be open. Everything was not open. Oh, gosh. No, it I was mean, like a Thursday. Even bars like, you know, at night, like the, you know, coming from New York, like when bars. Oh, yeah. Right I have here. tissues yeah. here for my guests. Um, when, you know, when we, came, we moved to L.A. and the bars all closed at 2 a.m., it was sort of like, wait, what? That but was... Are they even open till 2? Yes, like, some okay. of them are. Not that right. I'm not much of a wild party animal. <laughs> um, well, now, I think we should clarify this. So, so just so people know, so you're, you're, you live normally in Toronto? That's my home, yes. Yes, that's your home. Okay. And you're currently in L.A. for uh, a little spell. 
It's for it's really I'm I'm working on my second book and um, we're really escaping the winter. My husband's oldish mm-hmm. and can't do it anymore. So we got very fortunate in that we could stay at a friend's place while he's working. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, we were here for till the end of March. We're here for till the end of March. Okay, but, wow. Good talking. I'm good <laughs> That's so nice. Yeah, it is really nice. Yeah. I feel very lucky, and we've never really been able to do this before because I'm always building a restaurant or yeah. opening a restaurant or. Like I used to work in the restaurants every service right. know, five days a week, and I don't do that as much anymore. What are I your, sometimes feel really guilty about it. What are your current restaurants that you have? So um, there's five. There's Great Gardens, which is sort of the crown jewel, fine dining, but still kind of casual restaurant that's in Kensington Market. Okay. There's Bar Vendetta, which is the pasta wine bar that replaced the hoof. There's Rum Corner, which is the Haitian restaurant. And before you are like, oh, this white woman owns a Haitian <laughs> restaurant. My husband is Haitian. It's really more his place. Okay, very good. Um, and there's Cocktail Bar. So Cocktail Bar, Rum Corner, and Vendetta are the sort of tri- trifecta of restaurants on Dundas. And you can kind of go, they're all like, they're two seconds apart. Cocktail Bar is a cocktail bar. Mm-hmm. And it's been around for almost 10 years. Really, really good cocktails. And then there's Le Swan. Which is, um, Swan was kind of a classic diner that existed for a long time in the city. And then somebody took it over in the 90s and made it this, like, very cool restaurant that was probably one of the first cool, good restaurant that played good music. But because Instagram and Twitter didn't exist, you know, it kind of got to live in this, as this neighborhood restaurant for a Mm -hmm. really long time, which was really special. They sort of let it go downhill over the years eventually. And then someone took it over and didn't really make it work. And then somebody else just ran it right into the ground. And then it was just good timing. And we picked it up and turned it into a French diner, but like preserved all the beauty of it and enhanced all the beauty of it. So, so cool. Yeah. It's they're all very different. Well, it's interesting. So like my job on this podcast is to like hear you talk about your food and your lunch right. and then to kind of see if I can pick out some psychological insight into you. But one thing that's immediately clear with you is your attention to detail right? from the like knife sounds from your, <laughs> your friend making breakfast to the description of your protein breakfast. I go get him tiger with the Malden sea salt on this, you know, right. and the very crispy bacon and the, not the, not too crispy. Not though. too crispy. This is the key yes. to good bacon. But even as you described your your restaurants, you know the the new one with the the orange cream right. creamsicle colored. So <laughs> I, I was going to ask, have you always your whole life been detail oriented? I mean, I think it's hard to know, but certainly, yeah, I, I've always noticed things, and I don't. I think I probably notice things differently or more than some people do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you find being detail oriented can be inhibiting in a way? I mean, do you think or not inhibiting, but do you think that sometimes it's hard to just like let things go in life or I talk about this a lot when I'm at dinner with friends, because for me, it's always service that I find off putting more than mm-hmm. anything else. Octopus hands. Yeah. <laughs> which or I remember just, like, from your not even, yeah. just like somebody not being nice or somebody being yeah. brusque with you. Um, so it's really difficult for me to turn that off. So that's why I like to, so if I'm in a restaurant and, you know, I'm having kind of not great service, it, it really like bothers me in a way that it, I should just let it go. It's fine, whatever. And I try, I really try to be aware of it and not let it bother me. Mm-hmm. But that's partly why I like to go to places that I already know I like. And mm-hmm. I already have a relationship with the service because I just know I'm going to have a good time. I can just be there to dine with my friends or with my husband or by myself, which I do a lot and, and not have that like, you know, interior monologue going of like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> I asked for hot sauce like three times ago, like all that stuff yeah. like, that happens. So yeah, it is really, really hard to turn off and it's, and, but it's, you know, yeah. Do you think service triggers? I think about this a lot. So like my parents don't eat at home at all. They go to restaurants all, all the time. Every day, every meal? Yeah, every meal. Like, wow. they, they don't like to cook. They live in New York? Yeah, uh, Florida. Okay. 
Uh, and I, yeah, and I cook all the time, and like my my cooking is a reaction to that, right? But th- them in restaurants, it's, it's like they're almost like babies in terms of like if they're if the service if they're not tended to, it's like it's like abandonment almost. It's wow. like, and, and I think it gets stirred up in them, and, and I think about that a lot, and I get stirred up sometimes too. The way you were just talking, if like you ask for the hot sauce three times, but and, that's like three times. Like that's not like you know. Right. I don't get annoyed to ask for it once or even twice. Sometimes it right. would have to be the third time and be like, what? But I guess I'm asking, like, do you think that sometimes people's reaction to a restaurant is them projecting their own internal issues that have nothing to do with what's happening at the restaurant? into this sure absolutely i don't think that's what's happening in my case no no not in your case but definitely i think that's i think and i also think that our whole thing we talk about this a lot at gray gardens um it's you know it's not an inexpensive restaurant we want people to leave happy and have a good time Mm -hmm. at all the restaurants but particularly we want people to come in and if they're bringing something in with them Mm -hmm. that is ugly or bad or they've had a terrible day and they're like snapping or not being the nicest short of being actually cruel or rude or, you know, racist to a server, like if they're just being a little bit prickly, Mm -hmm. we want to turn that around. Like that's a real win when you can turn somebody's bad day into a nice experience. That's really nice. And we we do talk about that a lot in meetings is like, it's really up to you as a server to not let that stuff get to you because of course people are bringing all their bullshit Mm -hmm. in to the restaurant. Who who knows what happened? Who right. knows how their day was? So um, it's and that's I think that's something about service that people don't consider, like how emotionally difficult and draining it can be to deal with that all the time. Well, you talk about that in the book, which I thought was so interesting, that the back of the house doesn't necessarily understand how demanding it is at the front of the house. And vice versa, but yeah. And vice versa, but yeah. that how draining and exhausting it can be just dealing with people all day. It's crazy. I don't know if I told this story in the book. I sometimes get mixed up with what's in the book and what isn't. Mm-hmm. But we had a we had a, um, a cook who wanted to learn how to bartend, and he's a great bartender. And uh the first couple of nights he worked, he lost his voice. He was like, I, can't, I don't understand t- this talking to people all the time. I'm like, what do you think it is that oh, we yeah, do yeah, here? That's in your book. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, what do you think it is we do here? Like he just was, and it took him so long. He eventually got good at service, but it took him a really long time mm-hmm. to like learn how to finesse and like learn how to deal with people and not roll his eyes at people and like do um, do everything he could to make sure people were Because in the kitchen, you just, you put the plate out of food. Mm-hmm. Not that that is not a complicated thing, like to make you know, 12 or 15 of the same thing over and over again all night long and have them be consistently the same and consistently delicious is its own challenge. Right. But it's a totally different set of muscles than dealing with people and talking to people. Totally. I mean, I, <laughs> I, Craig, my husband's in the other room and he always laughs because I, I say I was a waiter in college, which is true, but I right. barely lasted. Like I lasted like a couple of weeks because I just couldn't take the the. Just, it's a lot. Yeah, and it's a special kind of person. I'll never forget it. I, I was a, I went to Emory University in Atlanta, and I when I, that's where I was a waiter in a restaurant. And a professor from Emory came in, and they seated him in my section. And he was there with his little daughter. Right. He's like, "Oh, you're a student." And at some point, he's like, "Can I get one piece of bacon?" And I was like, oh, and I didn't know how to do that. I mean, yeah. all I knew was like how to push the button for bacon. Yeah. So I was like, I, I really can't do that, sir. Like, I don't. And he was like, I just want one piece for my daughter. She doesn't want any more than one piece. And I was like, I really. And so he left me no tip. And I, I re- mean, what? <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I mean, you could have probably figured out how to get him one piece of bacon. Maybe I, asked, <laughs> like, I was yeah. just so terrified of the kitchen. I was so scared to go in there Which, and ask. Why the- should anyone like, why should you be? And that's the kind of dynamic that I really hate. 
So I want to ask you, I mean, let's like rewind the clock a little bit because I think it's interesting. I've had like chefs on this podcast before and I've had food writers, but I haven't had any restaurateurs, (laughs) (laughs) which I say so beautifully. Um, But what leads someone down that path, um, you know, to to do that versus being a chef or, you know, like how did how do you think that you wound up in this area of things? Well, I mean, I started out as a waitress as a server and um, I was interested in bartending. So that was kind of, I saw that as the next step. Mm -hmm. And I really, I think at some point I was just like, I can do this. Like I can open a bar and I can figure this out. I had a boss when I was like 18 or 19 at a cocktail bar in Toronto. And I was just like, there was a lot of things about the way that he ran his business that I didn't really like. Mm -hmm. And things like, you know, splitting tips evenly when I was doing three quarters of the work. And I like, that was clear and obvious to me. Right. Um, and, and I just sort of had this, you know, abundance of confidence, probably white woman, white woman related. <laughs> right. Probably. And I thought I can, you know, I can do this. I can figure it out. And, and so I did, um, with my ex-husband and, uh, opened a bar and it had sort of an eight year run and yeah, I mean, yeah. it was a little bit crazy, but the next step from that to me was obvious. Like I was like, I want to open a restaurant. I want to open a really cool restaurant. I want to open the best restaurant in the city. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my, my boyfriend at the time, Roland, uh, who's now my husband, who's like, well, this, this bitch is crazy, but okay. <laughs> That's how he talks. Um, so you had that ambition. You, I, I mean, to yeah, say you wanted always. to open the best restaurant in the city, I, I mean, in a city a like thing. Toronto. What a silly thing to say. But yeah. I definitely believed that I could do that. Wait, where do you think that came from, that feeling that you could do it? I was very loved by my parents, for okay. one. I think that's, that's, a one, good start. that's a good start. You know, they were really, like, they really, um, they were really the kind of parents that, it, and not in a ridiculous way, like, they were disciplinarians, too, when I was young, although by the time I was a teenager, it was difficult for them to discipline me. But they were they were very encur- encouraging, and, they, yeah, unconditional love really helps. Um, and I think just this, I just had this fight in me, and some of it's genetic, and some of it's, you know, the way that I grew up and starting to understand um, sexism at a young age. Mm -hmm. And like, I just had this fight in me and that was part of it. And in terms of like feeling like you knew enough, like how, like where, where where did the edge? I I mean, I'd worked in in enough restaurants and bars, but I'd never done like fine dining or even casual fine dining as we call it. And, you know, I I think I I learned a lot from um, a woman that we had working, working at the Huff Patrice who, who had worked a lot in fine dining and she like set some of the systems up and I learned from her and then, you know, took what it's not like rocket science. It's about being organized and it's about making systems that are efficient. And even though, you know, I set up some really good systems and, and a lot with her help, there was still like lots more better things to do Mm -hmm. as the years went on. And I had more, so I I learned a lot from people who worked for me, but at the beginning I was also really controlling Mm -hmm. and really like, it was hard for me to let go. Like it took a long time to well, let go a little bit. Well, I was going to ask you about that actually when you talked about your friend making the breakfast, um, <laughs> seating control. I mean, that's joke control. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, <laughs> but before we get to that, I, I was actually thinking a lot about your relationship to spaces mm-hmm. because that seems to be like your, like, you know, your wheelhouse is almost like, like conceiving of and then creating spaces where things happen. I mean, having read your book, but even just the way you talked about the new restaurant and just these spaces. um, And was that something that you did? Actually, I was also thinking about the bait, your parents' basement as being the model for, was that, what was the restaurant that you said that was based on your parents? Bar Vendetta. Bar Vendetta. But that, you know, 
that there's something to me that's so interesting about conceiving of a space and the, and the black hoof in the book, you talk about it being so small and how waiters had to like dance around each other, but mm-hmm. that it, there was a certain energy to the space and people came in and felt that energy. Yeah. And so I guess I'm wondering if you could talk about your relationship to spaces. And that's general. my next book. Oh, um, is that really? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Oh, wow. I'm pretty good ways. at this. All right. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, uh, and I think... <sighs> It's it's sort of hard to say this without it sounding just utterly pretentious, but you can sort of feel what a room should be. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean always to like honor the history of this room. Like there's, you know, that doesn't mean like a, keep the crown molding, obviously. Like, I don't know, sometimes the crown molding looks like shit. But like there's a way to be in a room and just try, use elements that are there as a baseline for your design. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, Rum Corner um, had like a, a vinyl floor that was white and gray checked. And I sort of like just kind of used that as the color. Um, it was, sorry, it was raw bar before it was rum corner. And that was a, a seafood place. And so I used that as like the jumping off point or like gray gardens underneath the vinyl tile that I end up, ended up using in rum corner. Cause it was already there. There was concrete, there was a concrete floor. So I polished that and used kind of that as a baseline for the, the design, which is not, industrial and you know by any stretch of the imagination but is mm-hmm. this like there is there are a lot of hard services but i don't know it's like i don't know exactly what i'm trying to say but i think you can be in a room figure out what's there already the bones yeah. of the room and then kind of t- pick a thing and go from there but even in terms of like coming to my apartment like when you came in and you went you know you first walked in and you said i really like the space or you know it feels like you have a relationship to the spaces that you're in or when you described right. go get them tiger yeah, yeah that you liked being on the patio or that you could sit outside yeah. i mean and is that is that generally true for you in life that you're you have yeah a- i mean i i over the course of the last six or seven years have made a very beautiful home for mm. us. And that's like a really, it's a refuge and it took, it was a slow process to like do little renovations, you know, cause it's very expensive to renovate mm-hmm. your house. But now I feel like I've, I have a dream home in my forties, which is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And part of that is knowing how to build into like what things are worth the expense and what things aren't. Yeah. I, I really do like, um, I really do love design I don't think I could do it for anyone but me. <laughs> well, I think that's so fascinating. I mean, I was just thinking that as you were talking, like that the cool, the fascinating thing about a restaurant is like you create this space that speaks to you. That's something that is within you. And then you're opening it up to the public. And well, that's this, the weird part. Like yeah. that's, I mean, that's the thing, you know, that where, where I've always made my restaurants a reflection of me. And it's just nice that other people think that's cool. Like that's great. But that's kind of where the magic ends for me in some ways is when the people come is in. when the people come you know <laughs> and I, I don't mean that of course obviously you want people to come and you want your restaurant sure. to be successful but like for me that that moment of like putting putting the the, the light fixtures in that's a big moment right and everything else is in place the paint has happened the floors installed the bar is built and then these light fixtures that i've been like hoarding over the last year you should see my storage locker it's crazy um <laughs> and finding these like really cheap lights that i get rewired or whatever or expensive lights that I've justified. And like, it's just, and I'll just sit in there by myself for hours and hours, like playing with the dimmers. And that's a really special time for me. <laughs> so your ideal restaurant is one that <laughs> no. nobody comes to. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> a restaurant of one's own. <laughs> that My should own be the name of your next home. book. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, so but I, I kind of get that too. It's almost like, like I just, just think of like, 
being in theater or something and like right. rehearsing a show and how like actors and you know playwrights and stuff talk about loving rehearsal yeah. and then once it opens to the public it's like not as fun it's anymore. It's not yours and it's not that it's not as fun anymore it's not yours anymore. Right. Like, now I it's think that's, for the public consumption. Yeah, I mean that it's like once you once you open the doors on yourself or or make art of any kind it's just it doesn't belong to you anymore and I think mm-hmm. that's not a bad thing it's just a different thing. I it's interesting cuz I um I'm a writer and so I write projects and uh, I, this famous theater director, Hal Prince just died and okay. he, he directed like everything from like Phantom of the Opera to Fiddler on the Roof and West Side Story. But he always said that on opening night of one of his shows, he would have the meeting for his next show the next morning before the reviews came in or right after the reviews came yeah. in so he could get on to the next thing. And I, I just, totally understand that. Yeah. And I think that's, that's my new thing is as soon as I finish a project now, I shove it off and I start the next one. Because that way, it just I wonder if you can do that with restaurants. I kind of do that too. I think yeah. the, I get I have um I'm of a, a good friend who's one of my business partners. In I finally started. I I didn't have partners for a long time, and then I finally started um bringing people that had been working with me for a long time into a partnership because well they frankly earned it and mm-hmm. um they wanted it. You know they want that's what they wanted, and uh and it's an equal partnership. It's not one of those bullshit ones where like I own ninety five percent of the restaurant. And three, right. people, three people split. It's all like very equal. That's nice. Anyway, um, so yeah, not a bitch. Uh, so he said to me, I, I, I will get after a restaurant build, even if I'm working in the restaurant, it's all very exciting. It's, you know, happening. The lights are up, the curtains open, mm-hmm. um, jazz hands. And, you know, I'll get, I'll go through, I'll get like depressed or like go through this moment of, of not moment, but days of like feeling down and feeling shitty. He's like, Oh my God, this again, like this happens every time you finish a build. Like right. after a few months, you like get really, you're like, you just feel useless. And like, you don't think you're doing anything. Cause I'd spent like six or eight months or a year or a year and a half, like frantically running a build. Cause I, I do a lot of like on-site management. And even if I have a contractor, like I will be doing a lot of the subcontracting myself, or I'm like literally painting myself and doing all as much stuff as I possibly can. Cause I love it. And, and apparently it happens every time I build a restaurant. That's so fascinating. it's kind of nice. Like I'm not ready right now to go into another build. I think it'd be really smart to just take a break. Maybe let some money come in instead <laughs> of like shoving it out right. all the time. So I'm going to take a little break, but it does, it makes me feel crazy. And even though I'm like just finished my proposal for my book and I'm ready to like really start writing and I want to be finished like the bulk of it by the time I leave LA, which is a tall order. Um, well, <laughs> at, yeah. least, at least a good portion of it. How far along are you? I mean, I finished my proposal. Okay, great. That's good. <laughs> so, that's a, that's something. That's, that's something. not easy. Like yeah. the, I mean, the, and I, my my agent, who's wonderful, Martha, encouraged me to. I was like, "What? I have to write a proposal? That's bullshit. Why can't I just write the book?" <laughs> you know, being like a giant baby, and um, and she was like, "No, no, no. This is like just just do it. Like stop yeah. it. Just do it." And it was such a good thing to force me to do because now I have this map. And I know what it's going to be. And I just kind of have to plug the things in. So Mm -hmm. she was right. (laughs) Okay. So you have your proposal. That's, that's an accomplishment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, there's so many directions to go and we're actually really zooming along here, but (laughs) I wanted to ask you about um, Toronto actually, Mm because it's funny because I've only been there as a little kid. I haven't been there as an adult. And I'm curious if you can describe like, what is the restaurant scene like there? And what's it, what is it like being in the food industry in Toronto? For me or in general? Well, in general or for (laughs) for you. Yeah. I mean, well, uh, first of all, Toronto is a hideously ugly city, which is kind of a bummer, but it's the truth. Um, but I love it. And I love, I love my neighborhood. We live in the West end near the restaurants. All the re- restaurants are kind of like very close together. And, um, 
Sorry, I have my I've had this like sinus thing hanging on okay. and it's just like it's so dry here, it just won't like go. I don't know how to make myself better and I can hear it in my voice and it's driving me a bit crazy. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Um so yeah, Toronto I mean the so it's hard for me to talk about it without seeming like I'm making myself the subject of why Toronto's restaurant scene got better, but it certainly was a big part of it. Sure. Like in the nineties and two thousands, there was like a couple places like I was talking about. That were like cool restaurants, but generally speaking, it was either fine dining or not fine dining. Mm-hmm. And the restaurant scene was really inaccessible um, and just very waspy. Like Toronto is very much like a, there's like a strong undercurrent of wasp culture. Okay. And the hoof was a big turning point in that where you, where you had no reservations. It was like more democratic in that sense, way more affordable. Like I think, you know, the prices never really went up that like they went up a little bit over 10 years, but not much. And this is part of a trend that's all going on all around the world. Right. I mean, having well, it, more... was, it was 2008 and there was yeah. a recession. Right. So that's like and, you know, I'm opening a restaurant in a recession and it was fine because it was the kind of place where you didn't have to dress up, where you could go and the music was loud and you could wear jeans mm-hmm. you could wear Converse. It was dark and it was cool and it felt like going out to a bar, even though you were going out to a restaurant. And I think that's why it hit so yeah. hard. And I mean, it's also the food was delicious. Like all of the all of the elements like existed for that to happen. And it was just the right time for that to happen. But I also feel like younger people are not as interested in fine dining. You know, sure. I, yeah, no, I, I think like, I think that's maybe changed a little bit over the years, but also just an accessibility thing. Like if yeah. you're paying off student debt, maybe you don't want to be going out and spending like one hundred and fifty two hundred dollars a head on dinner. So you were part of the zeitgeist in Toronto. I mean, you created this thing that sort of got the ball rolling. I, I think I think that's fair to say. It yeah. does feel uncomfortable yeah, to say no, it about sure, myself, but, but own it's, it. yeah. it's really the truth. Yeah. And um, you know, and, and there was like this sort of explosion after that, which was really nice to see. I'm not and a lot of those restaurants haven't stayed around. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the the Toronto scene. There's so uh, there's so many ways. It's like I'm looking at like a a diamond. Like there's so many ways into this conversation and there's so many angles. First of all, it's still a young restaurant scene. Mm -hmm. And I said this a million times, like nobody knows what good is. So everybody thinks, okay, is great. And so that's kind of a problem Mm -hmm. that is compounded by now having no food media. Okay. Like almost none. There's like a couple, there's like a blog and there's, um, either Toronto. No, there isn't. Um, there, so there's no food critics left. Really? Zero. That's sad. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, as much as I might have a contentious relationship with critics in some ways, because they always seem to approach criticizing me with tremendous bias, which is not just me complaining. It's yeah. really, really true. You have a chapter on that in your book. That's, I mean, that's, that's, that's even, they got much worse after that. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, oh, I'll, send, I'll send you a link. Okay. Um, so that's a problem. So you have this like exploding restaurant scene. There's like lots of people coming in. There's all these condos being built, which is part of why Toronto's so ugly. But I just don't I just don't know how sustainable it is mm-hmm. right now because there's just so many restaurants and there's a lot of sameness across the, you know every like right now it's all natural wine. It's like a few years behind New York and Montreal. Um but every restaurant's natural. And that's not a bad thing. Yeah. But it's like also it would be nice if it was it was done well by everyone and like only a few places do it well. So I, I it's complicated for me like cuz I'm looking at it from the inside of it. And I'm probably really picky. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also like in competition with these other sure. restaurants. It's impossible to not. Are you tethered to, not... to Toronto? Like, do you think you'll be there forever? Well, yeah, I, I think if I were younger, that probably wouldn't be the case. But mm-hmm. I, first of all, I have a, a home there that I love yeah. and I have friends there and 
um, not much family anymore, but um, yeah, it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons for me to keep that as my home base, but I, I really can see coming here every, every winter. I got that in front. I mean, I I feel like there's a certain love for LA. There really is. And I think that's partly just like, you know, new girl, rose colored glasses, like excited about the scene. There's lots of great food here. The produce will ruin your fucking life. Like, I mean, I can't, it's like lettuce and celery taste better here. Like it's oh not God. just citrus and strawberries. I have some lettuce from the farmer's market it's from this morning. Crazy. That is so good. I can give you some before you I leave. I would love that. Yeah. It's just crazy. So that's like, you know, you fall in love with that. Yeah. And it kind of fucks your palate up for Northeast you know, right. veg. Like Cold we do weather. really good peaches and apples and tomatoes and corn. <laughs> yes. Poutine. That's about it. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. yeah. So that like, that's, I really do like it here a lot. And I, I do like the chill pace. Um, I do think people could dress a little better if I'm, if <laughs> I'm going to so offer funny, a little though. criticism. No, what is the thing about LA? Because I, I think people you in LA lived are here too long. <laughs> oh, but what is that? What is the thing that you're seeing that people are dressed as? I or? don't think I can say without just sounding like a giant asshole. Like I think, I, um, it's either like like dreamy hippie, uh huh, or rich casual, okay, or 2002. And what, but what is good dressing to you? Like what, what, what would be a good fashion? Like See, what, that, what, I can't answer that. Like, <laughs> what should they be wearing? Like, I don't, it's, I don't know. You talk about good jeans in your book, like people wearing good jeans. I mean, so, good jeans are a thing. Yeah. Unfortunately, they're extremely expensive, which really sucks. Um, yeah, I, it, it's not fair. It's too, like, it's too privileged a way to look at it. Um, but I, I definitely like, I'm kind of, you know, Roland and I, who, Roland's a very well-dressed man. It's yeah. kind of mental. Um, well, this is an interesting psychological thing in terms of standards. Cause it's I mean, sort of, it's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like we talked about details, but then there's also standards, right? Because right? it's like to be detail oriented is just to notice the details, but then to have high standards is another quality. I mean, of, my standards are unattainable. It's, it's very different. But how do you deal, how do you deal, and you write about this in your book, but like how do you deal with opening a new restaurant, having very high standards, and then facing the reality of what you can actually accomplish and what can actually be pulled off. I really try to accomplish it. But even in terms of managing other people or like seeing someone drop a fork on the floor. Okay, so I'm so, as a company, but me in particular, I'm so particular about who we hire. And Mm -hmm. I often know right away if it's a mistake. Would you hire me? Uh, probably not based on what you've told me about <laughs> being a server. Very good. Very wise. Yeah. yeah. That's very psychologically healthy of you. No, yeah. I'm pretty direct. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I will know, like, we'll do an interview with someone. It maybe is a good interview and I'll come in and I'll watch them. I'll watch them actually work and I'll know right away. And I'll yeah. be like, this person is untrainable. Like, they just don't have it. You either have it or you don't have it. And that doesn't mean that you can't teach. For me, it's a personality thing. Like, you can teach anyone how to do this if they want to learn how to do it. Mm-hmm. It's just about... Like repetition, you know, we, we, this one, um, one server who I love, Ben, hello, um, <laughs> came to us from another restaurant where the standards were different, but he'd worked there for a few years. And so he, he had all of the elements in place, uh, in terms of just like his kindness, his natural warmth, mm-hmm. he cares so much about wine. He wants to like, he wants people to leave having had a really good time, but he was missing some of just the technical stuff, like how to move in a room. That was his, his thing. It was just like, and I just was on him about it in like, not in a mean, ugly way. I Mm -hmm. was just like, Nope, just every single time I would see him doing the the thing that wasn't quite right. Mm -hmm. And eventually it just worked. So it's like a lot of people are worth that investment and worth that time. And those qualities um, you were talking about, like where he wanted people to have a good time, he yeah, wanted. Like, what, that's not everyone, you know. But what what is that about a person? Like what what 
what is taking pride in your work and yeah. and wanting a, a long term career in the industry, whatever that might be. Like maybe, right. I, I mean, we have a lot of servers that stay with us for a really long time because we treat people well, mm-hmm. and it's you know they're making money. Like it's always economic. Right. Like if, if the restaurants didn't make money, people wouldn't want to work at them. Like that's a thing too. So what is the worst thing a server can do in one of your restaurants? Like what's something that would really anger you if you really saw somebody <sighs> start? Do- <laughs> I mean, like I I don't like meek service. Oh, I like somebody, and that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be deferential. That's different. Right. But if somebody is is like scared and meek, you really feel that. Mm-hmm. I want them to be in control. I want them to be in control of what they're doing, in control of how they drop. Like you can't just sort of like drop a glass and push another thing out of the way. You She's have to- dropping a glass and pushing it <laughs> in case you can't I'm see. I'm demoing, <laughs> yeah. you know, like here, the, the plate's here and you're just like eh, trying yeah. to like make it work. It's, yeah. It doesn't work. Okay. So like there's those things and you can tell people all that stuff, but, you, but some people you just have to tell them over and over again. And, you know, we've had lots of people not work out and that's maybe they don't think that I'm the best person, but it's like. Right. But the meekness is is important to catch because it makes people feel like they're not in good hands. Right? Yeah, like exactly. Cus- customers want to feel like they're, they're Even somebody's Even if they're A-type personalities. Yeah. They st- I personally still want that. I want the server. I don't know your menu. I don't know your wine list. I want you to either be the wine person or bring me the wine person. I want you to help me choose the most delicious thing on this menu. I want mm-hmm. you to make sure I have a good time, even though I'm obviously like a big personality and I'm going to be the table boss you're really the boss right. as a server that's i thought it was interesting when you talked about a table ordering the whole menu and not not being the best thing to do at the black hoof like right, that, that was, no like if you're a table of six you have to have two pastas two crudos like right. that is how to have the best time yeah. otherwise they're gonna go and write a yelp review being like the portions were so small we had like <laughs> one bite of fish right. each and it's like that is because you ordered wrong yeah like, we tried to stop you but is there something that like a, a server could do that's just like absolutely like you know, the thing that would like make smoke come out of your ears or is it, is it really just generally like, it's a lot of little things. Like I'm trying, I'm trying to think of something that would really make me crazy mad, but bad drops make me mad. Yeah. Like really they make me mad. Um, like not paying attention to what's happening at the table makes me mad. Like Mm -hmm. glasses having no water in them. Like that is on you. So when you talk about standards, you were talking about on the front of the house side, but then in terms of the food and the quality control there, how do you as a restaurateur, (laughs) every time I say that word, it feels funny. Um, Do you manage that? Like, I mean, it seems like even in the... it's different for different restaurants. Like, for example, at um, Vendetta, James, who was the the chef at the Hoof for the last couple of years that we were open, he's a partner now. And he's like an amazing cook, but we also have a beautiful collaboration. And like, we talk about the food and he cares what I think about it. And, um, I'm a good editor, you know, Mm -hmm. and I can also like, I, I also eat the food a lot and I'll eat full plates of it. Whereas sometimes cooks when they, and this is not about James, it's like cooks in general, they'll make a plate of food. They'll taste, taste it, have one bite of it and be like, okay, everything's working. Everything's good. But did you eat the whole plate? Did that did that sweetness become cloying? Right. Was that acid too much after one bite? Mm. So like, it's really important, I think, for cooks, and they don't do this a lot. Um, and I, I think it's important for restaurants to allow their cooks to like go in and eat the food that they're cooking. Yes. And see how it eats as a, as a whole plate. Uh-huh. And I think, and I just think more collaboration with front and back is better, and it makes everything better. And I think you know, working with someone like James who really understands that mm-hmm. is amazing. Like it just is so nice, and he's. Um, like he doesn't, his 
plates almost never need any editing, but when they do yeah. occasionally, he's open to that conversation. Editing is such an interesting word with food because uh, to me it feels so subjective, you know, but at the same time, I guess it, it is. But like maybe if, you know, you've been doing this for 10, 15, 20 years right. and you have a good palate and you know what people want. Yeah, of course it's subjective. Like I love the punterelle salad on the menu mm-hmm. at Vendetta. I think it's delicious. I could eat it every day. It's got like this beautiful sweetness to it that maybe wouldn't appeal to everyone. Mm-hmm. But like nine times out of 10, people love that salad. Right. So like it's just understanding mostly what people want. You're not going to ever please everyone mm-hmm. all the time. Like that's what I always say. My restaurants are for anyone, mm-hmm. even if they're not always for everyone. Is there um, a thing that you don't like to eat or is it something like a chef will want to put on the menu that that you'll just like, no, I don't want to serve that or... No really i think it's more about like does this fit into our ethos like mm-hmm. is this who we are okay and we'll have those conversations sometimes but not not often i'm i'm trying to think if there's like i don't think that's ever come up there was maybe some stuff like on old hoof menus that just i thought just didn't work that well but we didn't have as good a relationship so i'd just be like fine we'll have one out of 17 things that is like less good that's and you fine. served horse there i saw on your delicious I, I was kind of like oh horse i've never had it it was pretty progressive i mean you couldn't get horse in new york at that yeah. time we can we, you get it there now i don't i honestly don't think so i don't think that would fly i think yeah and we still like we still central park horse (laughs) (laughs) we serve like um yeah uh we still serve i I just think the hypocrisy of people that will eat a burger or a steak and then just like you know not eat horse like just you know you can just not eat meat yes and that would be fine and i won't it'll be i think it's good for everyone to eat less meat that's interesting um wait so I had one more question. Oh, so do you, you, Winston came to visit when he heard about horse. He's like, don't eat me. Um, That's in your dog food. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> you eat horse. Um, do you cook a lot? I do. Okay. Yeah. Mostly just for yourself or for you and yeah, your I husband? Yeah, I cook for friends, for us. For us. I, um, I'm, I'm a good home cook. Yeah. What kind of stuff do you like to make? Um, I like to make, I like to really cook slowly. So and clean as I go. And like, I'm very precise about not having, I don't cook in a chaotic way. I like to make like really good tomato sauce. Uh I like to do like roast chicken thighs. I do a lot of easy things that are just like, cause when I have a dinner party, I really do want to be spending time with my friends and not just cooking. And what what goes into your tomato sauce? Um, It's not like, it's not that revolutionary, but I do this. Okay. So I, I'll, I'll um, poach about a head of garlic Really? Out of the skins in olive oil on really, really low heat. That's, okay. That's the first step. That's really interesting. That's a good start. It's really nice. And it gives this like beautiful, gentle garlic flavor that you, is not the same as roasted garlic. And it's not the same as chopping it and throwing it in the pot. It's a very different flavor. Um, so that's the first start. And then almost like a half tube, three quarters of a tube of tomato paste. Uh-huh. Tiny little pinch of chili flakes, like the tiniest, and a couple bunches of dried thyme. So that gets like, you really cook the tomato paste down for a bit. The garlic is out of the pot at this at this point. Okay. Cook the tomato paste down. Throw the garlic in that's already been poached and like smeared into this paste. Oh. That goes in. That goes like a couple stirs around on pretty low heat. And how much olive oil was in there? Like a, a good amount. A okay. good like you don't you don't use all the olive oil that you've had the garlic poaching in. You can use that for something else. You okay. For a dressing or you just keep poaching garlic in it, uh-huh. which I do. And um and then like throw in some wine like rosé, white, vermouth, whatever you have around. Cook that down. Throw in a can or two, however many people you're cooking for, of like very good quality 
tomatoes mm-hmm. that you've like taken the stems out of, that uh-huh. you've taken all the peel out of, that Details. you've been fastidious <laughs> yeah. about, because it just makes a better sauce. And then really crush them down with your hands into the pot and you're done. And you just cook that down for like a, an hour, two hours. Two that sounds hours. incredible. It's very delicious and it's, the easiest thing in the world, and you can have it. I'm, I sometimes have it on brown rice because I'm old and <laughs> embarrassing, but like sometimes I want to eat pasta all the time and I can't. Oh, I made pasta last night yeah. and I add too much um, red chili flakes, so it'll ruin the sweetness of the tomatoes. Yeah, my husband said it was too spicy and we got into a little fight about it, but this isn't my <laughs> therapy. So, I mean, we're nearing the end of the podcast. I want to make sure, though, do you feel like we've gotten, I mean, I've gotten some some stuff out of you psychologically. I mean, the details, the standards. Well, what you'll find is interesting about me is that I'm able to seem really disclosing while keeping lots of doors closed. That's not surprising, though. No, I get that. I feel like, I feel, I feel but like, I'm aware. Yeah, no, I, I felt like as, as open as your book was that you were always in control of the story you were telling. In a way. Very controlling. Control. That was the final thing, the, <laughs> the yogurt from the morning. So talk, can you talk a little bit about your relationship to being in control? Um, yeah. I mean, I'm definitely aware of it. I know I'm a really controlling person. I try very hard to not let that infuse my friendships with anything other than like self-aware joke controlling. Uh-huh. Um, and my husband and I talk about it sometimes. And it's, you know, it's it's definitely a part of my personality. But I, I think I couldn't do what I do without without that like yeah. there are there are def- there are negative qualities that come along with all of these positive qualities that allow me to you know build a little mini empire and like mm-hmm. have the confidence to write a memoir and all of this uh, this stuff that I want to accomplish and I feel like I haven't accomplished anything you know because I'm so ambitious do you think that the letting go of the restaurant is related to your ability to not control anymore like what's going to happen to it like that, there, that it's does- maturity in some ways like it's yeah. like understanding that there are people that are just as good at this or better than I am. Uh-huh. And a lot of the people that are in place in management are those people. And they're yeah. really, really good at it. Like there's things that they'll miss maybe that I wouldn't miss, but there's all of this other stuff that they, mm-hmm. that they don't miss that I just, I don't, I can't do it anymore. And right. so I, it's, I, I made a choice for sure to like, um, it's the same kind of choice that you might make when you expand your restaurants to a, like, the nth degree, which I would never want to do mm-hmm. um, for any amount of money. And, um, you know, you, you kind of go, okay, well, I'm going to take this less quality and, and, and this big bag of money to have like a giant worldwide restaurant empire. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. And I don't think with the choices that I've made that I have done that because the people that are in place are making sure mm-hmm. that we're still keeping it exactly where it needs to be. But I was curious about like when you said you go through a depression after finishing a restaurant, <laughs> it's maybe some of that depression is connected to like not being in control of that space anymore. Or what's going to happen to it? No, it's not. It's totally, it's totally about feeling not productive enough, which is oh. crazy. Oh, that's interesting. So <laughs> yeah. not productive. You need something to occupy. I, I need constant stimulation, like constant. It's gotten worse since iPhones became a thing. Like uh-huh. I just, I need to like, be doing something, building something, thinking about something like my mind just races mm-hmm. and I need to have somewhere to put that. That's why cooking and, and painting and all these <laughs> things make a lot of sense yeah, for you. It does. Well, uh, well, we started the podcast by asking what you were having, what you had for lunch today. Although just to be clear, so the yogurt was breakfast. And then the protein breakfast was second breakfast. Second breakfast. <laughs> and four o'clock will be lunch. I might not eat that much. I'll probably have a little bit of um, some leftover soup or like some salsa and chips or something. And then dinner, and then will, dinner will be at what time? 
Um, probably after eight thirty because the if if we stay home tonight, it'll probably be like seven thirty eight. Okay. And if we go out, it'll be like eight thirty nine. And so I was going to ask you like what the plan was for dinner tonight. No, we haven't really thought about it. We've been cooking at home a lot, which has been nice. So we might go out and eat somewhere. Um, but I actually haven't thought about it because so chill while I'm in LA. Yeah, that's great. It's a great, it's interesting how like a place can take on like a, an attitude for, or just like a, a way of thinking, you know, when I'm in Toronto, I wake up pretty much every morning with my fists sort of clenched and like, I don't know if I'm sort of, you know, boxing in my sleep or just like, I'm, it's probably more like clenching a jaw, but you're clenching your hands kind of like right. this. And I haven't really been doing that here. Yeah. And I do think that is about a different workload that I'm placing on myself where I'm mm-hmm. not putting, I know I have to write, I'm really going to start doing it this week. Yeah. Um, and we'll see if I start writing. And, but once I start writing, I'll feel so good about accomplishing like 2000 words a day or 1000. Like I really, when I'm, when I'm working, I really do like write and write and write mm-hmm. for six or eight hours. And that's more than Stephen King recommends. He says, you just have to do a thousand words a day. No, I'll do way more than that. Cause I also know that like, I only have six weeks and mm-hmm. There's like a finite amount of time. And when I get home, I can't write. I mm-hmm. cannot do it in Toronto. I've tried. I have to leave and I have to go somewhere where the restaurants are not constantly like after me. <laughs> it's so funny because I, you know, I, I was a food blogger and then I became a TV writer. And so right. I moved to LA and so I do TV and film here. And so there's something called staffing season here where you find out if you're going to get staffed on a TV show okay. every spring. And talk about like waking up with your fitness clench. <laughs> like LA to me becomes the most stressful place in the world. Like I could not feel more stressed than than the spring in LA. Oh, I believe it. <laughs> but it's so funny because it's like for you, it's like you come here and it's like yeah, running in sure. Canyon and like sitting outside and it's like, it's no. just like, and for you, Toronto is, you know, exactly. stressful. So I guess it's just like your stress is wherever it's your where your home, base home is. is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But just so we get some idea, if you were to eat home tonight, what do you think you would make? We're going to drag okay, this out so, a little bit. No, it's fine. I, so I just discussed, so we don't have Trader Joe's in Canada. And everyone was talking about those cauliflower, um, cauliflower gnocchi. So, I've never had it. Okay. They're awesome. I really? Them, I made them the other night. I followed the directions very closely. You're supposed to like boil off a little bit of water and then add some butter. I was using cast iron, so it could have been like, it could have been a more nonstick situation, but it was okay. pretty good. Add a lot of butter and then like just fry them on one side. It took way longer to brown them than the, than it said it was going to. And then I had my tomato sauce, which we have discussed and it was so good. Like I was so surprised and it really does like fill that nice like where you want like a nice comfy bowl of pasta but uh-huh. for like way less carbs i know we're not supposed to think like that no no yeah, you're like, in la are you I kidding know, oh my god i'm like a, i'm like this weird like mythical character in la because people see me on instagram making pasta yeah and they're like what is that substance <laughs> that you're eating i, I love pasta i want to eat so this is <laughs> yeah. like a really nice way to get that feeling yeah and like not feel you know like you've just eaten a giant bowl of pasta and not feel like oh I've, wow that's a lot. Yeah. Um, so you'll so that's that, really nice. Maybe? I might make the kale version of that with like a pesto or something. Wait, what's the kale version? So it's just like there's kale gnocchi. Oh, and amazing. It's, I, they're surprisingly delicious. Like I'm kind of blown away by how good it is for like convenience food. Sure. And that's sort of an embarrassing thing. But yeah, I might do that. I never know what to buy at Trader Joe's. I always go in there. You and should like, buy those things. I'm going to buy those things. Yeah. convenience. <laughs> is it all like Trader Joe's brand? I'm not sure I told because I tried to buy LaCroix and is. they didn't. They were like, we don't sell that here. But in a really nice way, the staff was all really nice. Everyone yeah. I talked to. I was like, what do you mean you don't sell LaCroix? But it, like, maybe they only sell Trader Joe brand. 
I have no idea. I mean, Trader Joe's for me is almost like Scientology, where it's like people who belong to, like, who go there. Well, no, it's like, it feels like a cult. Like, people who love it, love it. Right. But if you're not part of that, like, I feel like I've never quite gotten it. Right. I, I used to go to a gym right above it, and I would go there after, and I'd be like, where's, like, like the it's produce? It's laid out very strangely. Strange. And there's very little produce, which is... Yeah, the produce was yeah. always just, like, like, in weird bags. It's weird, yeah. Yeah, okay. But I'm, their, like, whole thing is they're, like, their frozen convenience foods, and then they have, like, this um everything but the bagel spice that people seem to like oh yeah um yeah they have like these products that. that'll just like yeah. hit i think their trail mix is really good i bet it is yeah <laughs> well, i was gonna ask you before we end we're almost at the very end yeah. but in terms of restaurants in la what have been your favorites so far or just meals in la um am i putting you, you know, on the spot <laughs> no you're not i'm just trying to think about like there's so there's so many there's so much good food here like i really want to do the the sort of suburban exploring and going out and where's all where's all like the really good chinese food like i want to do the san gabriel valley like i love yes i love eating in k-town um there's these like sesame noodles black sesame noodles cold noodles that i like dream about um and you know what i've really had a couple good meals at republic that's amazing it is so good it's so the service is, I know it's like a corporate restaurant and there's like, I would love to redesign it because the bones are so amazing, but like, yeah. it's so good. How would you redesign it? Oh, lots of, lots of ways. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was funny because we went there for like a birthday or something and I love the food, but I hated who we were seated next to. Oh no. It was like on one side, it was like, cause we, cause we were at a two top and then there's a two top neck one on one side and a two top on the other right. side. And both tables were just like these like douchey banker guys. See, this, then, is, this is the thing like yeah. that. And it, that's like the rest, like restaurants like that are full of people like that yeah and i was just, i kind of took away from the meal because it was just like i was over i was listening to everything that they were saying and i was like oh like i can't handle this yeah it's like definitely a, a problem and there's also just like a lot of places where there's you know very little integration like my husband's black and we'll go to places and he'll just be like the only black man there like yeah. sometimes there'll be a couple black women but the and so that's like but that's everywhere that's not la that's literally everywhere in mm-hmm. north america and europe and everywhere um but yeah that's so that's a that's a really like they know what they're 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 just good at cooking. Like the food oh, yeah. is really good there. I like the that bread a lot. is so good. I like Kismet a lot. Kismet's They're amazing. Just like, the new rot- rotisserie is really, really yeah, nice. Yeah. I do think the eggs, the soft scramble at um, Go Get 'Em Tiger are unrivaled. They're really, really well, good. Well, next time I go to therapy, which is right next door, I'm going to get some soft scrambled eggs. You must. I will. <laughs> well, Jen, this is a perfect place to stop. Well, thank you so much for coming. My pleasure. On this podcast. All right. 